This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's workplace podcast. Welcome to today's workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. In our last episode, plaintiff side class action attorneys, Kelly Dermody and Jahan Sagafi joined us on today's workplace to discuss systemic discrimination cases, what they look for when taking on a case, and what industries are more vulnerable to claims of systemic discrimination. Today, we take a closer look at diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession. Kelly Dermody is managing partner of the San Francisco office of Leaf Cabraser, Hyman, and Bernstein, LLP. She represents employees in class, collective, and hashtag MeToo actions. Jahan Sagafi is the partner in charge of Outen and Golden San Francisco office, where he represents employers in employment class actions, challenging discrimination, wage and hour abuses, Fair Credit Reporting Act violations, and other types of exploitation of workers. Kelly, you recently became head of the Labor and Employment Law Section of the American Bar Association. Congratulations on this. I want to make a disclaimer here that you're not speaking on behalf of the ABA, and we're really only interested in your personal views. But we know that the ABA as an organization for many decades actually excluded people of color. And we have a profession that seems even further behind than corporate America on this journey to true diversity, equity, and inclusion. Corporations have spent billions of dollars on DEI initiatives. The law profession has spent billions of dollars, and yet progress is disappointing. What are your thoughts on why this is the case? Well, thank you, Barbara. That is such a pregnant question. There is uh, so, so much in that. And, uh, you know, I, I think fondly back, I've known you, Barbara, for now decades, and what, what a great journey it's been. But you and I had some really great conversations. Uh, you may remember this well, it, you know, in the early aughts, 2004, 2005, talking about intentional inclusion. And uh, it was in the context really of an ABA committee that we were in and, and making, being aware uh, of that committee 
being a welcoming place for lawyers of color and a place that lawyers of color would, would want to return to. Um, but it, it definitely has, has been one of those uh, moments in my own career as a white lawyer and a white lawyer working on movement cases, thinking about the importance of intentional inclusion, intentionality in changing things. I think the legal profession has been ridiculously, shamefully slow at, it, at really genuinely embracing equity. I think it has paid a lot of lip service to diversity. Um, it's used the terminology of, of diversity and inclusion without practicing inclusion. And I, and I think that uh, in some respects, uh, we in the labor and employment uh, bar have some answering to do to all of that, especially we white lawyers who have very often led organizations and firms. And, and I think part of it is lawyers' unfortunate tendency to get granular on concepts, not look at systems, and to uh, focus overwhelmingly on things like intent. And Ibram X. Kendi wrote what I thought was just really one of the most profound and important books uh, recently about how to be an anti-racist and really shining a, a, a light or uh, reflecting a mirror back on what I think is the socialization of white people to think that there are racists that wear hoods and everyone else is a good guy and to leave off the hook all of the folks who are, you know, think of themselves as the good guys who don't do anything to challenge systemic inequality or to even name it. Um, when it's right in front of them. And, and I think that the legal profession has rewarded um, that type of dichotomy of the, uh, the, the intentional bigots and all the good guys. And that we have, you know, created these, uh, like a steeplechase of procedural challenges to find accountability uh, for systemic inequality. And it has made the law a terrible tool uh, to fix things. I think in our own workplaces, we've been talking forever about what you know should make a difference, and the budgets that are spent. You mentioned this. I mean, we're talking about you know ten billion dollars a year being spent on DEI, and we're not moving the needle. And I think the the, the shamefulness of it is this complete lack of accountability that the performance of DEI and the mentioning of DEI itself becomes a sort of pageant of activity uh, that it is an end in itself, that DEI is a, is a club hobby that organizations do. They aren't what organizations are. And we don't demand the results uh, that you would expect. So I've become, I don't know, kind of cynical in my, <laughs> in my seasoning where I start to feel like, gosh, people, you know, organizations just burn your money rather than spending it on these pageants because the pageants are getting in the way of you actually demanding results. And until we demand results on DEI, we're not going to see any change at all. We're just going to have more activity that goes to nowhere. Very interesting response. Thank you. Jahan? Yeah, I guess I... I share your frustration and your concern for sure, Kelly. I, I think um, the law is fundamentally a fairly conservative institution, unfortunately. And it has, you know, we learn in school and, and some of us are fortunate enough in our jobs to be able to emulate, you know, these efforts to pursue social, social justice and to use the law as a dynamic tool that can help uh, combat uh, discrimination and bias. Um, but so much of the law exists 
to resist against that. And it's Kelly used the word steeplechase, which is a great, great term. Like there's so many hurdles that we have to get over before we can win one of these cases or even get a good result. Um, and if you think about how, I think there's, there's the conversation recently in light of Me Too and BLM and, and the awareness um, that, that people are bringing to the conversation that feels like a significant improvement to where we were even 10 years ago. And certainly when I was you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s and, and into the 90s. And, um, and so I think you know, to Belinda's point, millennials do not want to stand for this nonsense. You know, they, are, they are ripping the, the cover off of a lot of the, you know, I don't know, hidden shames that we have, that we have just kind of looked away from um, in, in our generation and, and older. And so I, I do have some hope that there is a real shift in the conversation and that will help, um, that will help us find some truth because, yeah, I, I think um, Dr. Kendi's work and lots of other work that is sort of confronting white people with the myths that we have told ourselves and you know, having to see on video the realities of the disparate realities and the, and the you know, different experiences that that black people and people of color and indigenous people are experiencing compared to white people. Um, it, it, I think it's really forcefully rejecting these myths that we, that, that we have become so comfortable with. And I think that is hopefully going to help. Yeah. And there's one other thing I wanted just to, you know, say, just to recognize some, something positive <laughs> about the profession. Um, and, and, you know, not to, uh, you know, just toot, toot the horn of the ABA labor and employment law section, but I'm going to. Um, so l last year when we were all, we as a country were going through um, what was sort of a racial reckoning, a racial awakening, really, a, I'd say a racial awakening for white people because uh, people of color, you know, uh, were awake. Um, but uh, going through that period, even within our section, which is a very ideologically diverse section, politically diverse section, um, there was a real hunger for self-education. And the section as a section decided to take on um, self-growth uh, self and uh, took on um, creating a syllabus uh, and doing a project uh, that followed uh, this great diversity consultant, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr.'s. 21-day racial equity habit-forming challenge and created a 21-day collection of readings and podcasts and videos for the section of these politically and ideologically diverse and many, you know, very senior um, white lawyers who grew up in uh, cultures that were not particularly populated by a lot of uh, lawyers of color and not really any leaders of color really embraced doing this project. And I think the fact that that happened and that, frankly, I, I look around and the section has such a deep bench of leaders of color, that didn't happen, you know, in a one year window, but it has been happening. It has been happening. And um, there has been a, a, a consciousness um, around uh, a, a inclusion and around equity um, that's been taking hold. And so I'm, I'm a little more upbeat about the possibilities in our profession. I'm a little cynical about the DEI initiative and the budget around that, but I'm a little more upbeat about our potential for change. I, I, think, I think we do have it. I think we're, we're seeing it unfolding around us. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you that that we are at least pointed in the right direction and incrementally moving. But, um, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen as to whether or not we can solve that conundrum that I think one of you raised around. We've been at it for so long, throwing so much money at it. Why are we not still getting, you know, past where where we've been before? So. Thank you all uh, for that. One of the things that I'd like to do, um, we always like to do towards the end of our uh, podcast, or we want to we want to hear from you. Uh, what are three major sound pieces of advice that you have for employers who are on the DEI journey as to how they can avoid being in your crosshairs? I mean, as an in-house person, I really need to know this. <laughs> Uh, sure. I, I'm curious if we're going to say the same things. Um, so um, my, for my number one, monitor pay decisions, promotion decisions, results in general. Monitor, monitor, monitor. Um, the activity is somewhat um, superfluous. It's the results. So the paychecks stuff. Um, I would recommend tying uh, manager rewards to diversity results and withholding awards and recognition and prestigious titles and whatnot for, from those managers who are not culture carriers around diversity. And the third is I would take a hard look at HR departments and HR results to see what the orientation is to employee complaints. I don't think it's a positive if there are very few employee complaints that are sustained or uh, upheld. I think that's a, a real worry uh, and, a, and a vulnerability to an organization. Um, and if the HR department is looking at complaints from a legal framework, like, is this provable in court? I think it's got it all wrong. Mm -hmm. I think the question is, can we support the employee and um, acknowledge their concerns uh, to help our culture be better? Um, because if you're calling balls and strikes to use a sports analogy with a tight, strike zone, you're going to bring lawsuits raining down on you. Excellent. Jahan? Sure. Yeah, those are great. And I could, yeah, I could say as Kelly forecasted, I agree completely. Those are, those are the three, uh, but let me try and add some, I guess. So um, I think one would be watch your hubris. So, you know, if you are so in love with your product, you're so in love with creative disruption and breaking the industry that you're getting into, you know, we're going to destroy the taxi industry or we're going to, we're going to change the way hotels are reserved or whatever it might be. Um, that's fine if you think of that on the sort of product level, um, although there can be imp implications for sure in terms of exploiting workers, um, in, in terms of wage theft and things like that. But holding that aside, don't take that attitude to the rest of the world, such as we don't need to worry about the Civil Rights Act of 1964, or we don't need to worry about what all these old people are telling us, you know, we should be worried about. Like, you still do need to uh, accept the wisdom of experts in HR, in industrial organizational psychology, et cetera, who know how the dominoes are going to fall if you set them up in a certain way. Um, and so there is wisdom um, there that you can that you can use and don't have the hubris to say, we're just going to destroy everything and we're going to reinvent whatever we want because you're missing out on a lot of institutional knowledge and wisdom that will protect against discrimination. Um, I would certainly agree with what Kelly said about data. 
So watch how you are paying people, analyze how you are measuring performance, analyze who you are hiring. That's not, that's not hard. Um, and I think there are companies like, I know Salesforce talks a lot about how they do a lot of soul searching, a lot of inward looking, and they, got a lot of, they get a lot of accolades for doing that. And that takes courage um, to do that. And I, and I guess I would step back a little bit and think about it from a perspective of courage as well as humility to know that you don't have all the answers, especially if you're a white guy leading an organization who's been told all your life that you do have all the answers. Um, maybe you don't, you know, and maybe you need to think about, oh, I'm missing this aspect of the problem. Or as Kelly was saying earlier, my intent is good. I'm a good guy, um, but maybe maybe my impact is not so good. And, and when you multiply that across hundreds or thousands of people in an organization, that can have devastating consequences. So I think having the courage and the humility to look afresh at your organization and assess whether bad outcomes are happening, then that, that might be a way to protect against, um, against discrimination and not end up in our crosshairs. And then I think another component is, you know, we talk about DEI often as a sort of HR concept, but it's well established that for it to stick, it's got to be owned from the CEO all the way down, right? And it's got, it can't just be isolated in this silo of it's, a, it's an HR thing. Uh, and here's the person of color who leads the HR thing or who leads the DEI thing. It's got to be trumpeted enthusiastically and believed in by leadership. And if your leadership can't do that, they aren't real leaders. So I, I, I think that's an important component too. And people aren't going to believe it if it doesn't come from the leaders. So that's, those, are, those are three things um, that I would emphasize. I guess another one is exit interviews and complaints. Kelly talked about complaints. So you, know, you, could, you could also interview the people who are leaving the company. Why did they leave? Why did they feel uncomfortable? Why did they choose to go somewhere else? Um, and, and certainly complaints is another way to do that as well. So, and that fits within the sort of soul searching and having the humility to understand that you do not have all the answers. Kelly and Jahan, thank you so much for um, joining us today on today's Workplace. It's been a delightful, informative conversation. We wish you well. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.